The work isn't done. Right? That's what we've been saying for a couple months now. And uh, we've uh, begun the year with a series uh, seeking to emphasize that. Right? We start this year like we have done often with a mini-series of sorts to galvanize the church, to remind the church of who we are, what our vision is, what we're setting out to do together. And each year there's a little bit of a nuance, right? There's many things that are the same about what we emphasize, and then at the same time there are things that are different, some nuances, some emphases given the moment, okay? The first priority that we want to galvanize you to this week is something that, that Ethan mentioned last week, and that was disciple-making. We are calling each of you to discipleship. The work of discipleship isn't done, right? That's important because as we give ourselves to discipleship, what does God do? The ministry of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pursue maturity in Christ, conformity to Christ. And so the work of discipleship isn't done. We call each of you to that good gospel priority, disciple-making. Today, we're going to take a look at the second priority of this three-week series, and that is going to be giving. Enter awkward silence. We're going to focus on giving. It's our heart, it's our hope, to inspire a greater maturity in giving here at this church and in the lives of the people that participate with us here in worship, in discipleship, in all of that. Why does this matter? You say, well, because y'all having budget problems. No. I mean, yes. But no, that's not primarily why this matters, right? That's so tertiary, secondary, whatever eerie you want to give it. This matters. And Randy Elkhorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, says this. And I think it actually points out why we get a little uneasy, why we get a little uncomfortable in these moments. Listen to what he says. He says, there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. Our approach to money and possessions isn't just important. It's central to our lives. To summarize, the reason we get a little unsettled and uncomfortable and uneasy is because it's pushing a few buttons internally in our heart, in our life. And so today we want to call you to generosity. We want to start the year by galvanizing every person who knows Jesus Christ to give. To give radically. But why? Why? What's the foundation for that? I think that's super important. We don't just want to tell you what to do. We want to tell you why. We want to build a strong foundation together. A foundation that's not built on guilt. I want to just start there. Guilt is a poor motivator for giving. And I got, just to, to give everyone a little bit of ease this morning, we will not, we should not guilt you into giving. Guilt will not 
be the foundation on, on which we build a practice of generosity and giving. So what is the reason? What is the proper motivation? What is the strong foundation for generosity, for giving? Well, we turn to the Word each week, amen? We don't come up with these answers on our own. We seek to know what God has to say. And so we're going to invite Gabby Fordham. She's going to read our scripture passage this morning. So let's turn our attention to her. Good morning. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 8, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave according first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that speaks to us. I pray that your spirit would guide us, would teach us, conform us to Christ's image. Show us, Lord, all that you are. May we respond accordingly. Speak to us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. For about seven years, we have been leading a group of men in a community called Equipped. Uh, its intention is to farm elders over time. We want to raise up and appoint elders. Uh, currently, we are in a uh, particular session where we're teaching these guys how to preach Oh yeah, we're raising up preachers around here, okay? So we've been teaching them a number of things, one of which is how to structure your sermon, okay? And oftentimes, uh, that's kind of questions we get, like how do you decide how to structure a sermon? Well, I always just simply answer with that one, it's, well, listen, just look at the structure of the passage, right? So how the flow of the passage goes, let it be the flow of your sermon. Write your sermon in a way that it logically follows the structure and flow of the passage. We don't have to make these things up, amen? God gives it to us, so we just want to teach you the Word. And so, typically, when you start a sermon, you start in the first verse to follow the flow and structure of the passage. But you know, even though that's a simple rule of thumb, what do we do with rules? We break them. That's right. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to break the rules. We're going to start in the, first, uh, the last verse. We're going to start this 
sermon with the last verse of this passage, right? Because I said, when we talk about this practice of giving, we want to build it on a strong foundation. And when we talk about giving, we must build upon a foundation of grace, not guilt. Did you hear that, friend? We build a case for giving on a foundation of grace, all right? Verse 9, look at what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Friends, this could easily not be a message about giving anymore. This is a message about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In all that you hear today, please focus your heart and soul on verse 9. Fixate on it. We can't move on without this verse. There's nothing more to talk about if we don't get our hearts in tune with this verse. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ today? Do you know it? Well, here, if you don't know it, let me tell you about it. Jesus existed eternally in infinitely glorious riches. That's Jesus. Incomparably, infinitely rich. Jesus. In all of his glory, all was his. Everything was at his disposal. There was nothing that he lacked in and of himself. But we understand that what Paul is saying is that as an act of grace, Jesus emptied himself of such heavenly riches and he voluntarily entered into a state of humiliation for our sake, for your sake. He became like us and entered into our world, our state. And again, he did this voluntarily, seeing and knowing the depth of our need for him. He emptied himself, and he came for your sake, so that taking on poverty, we might become rich. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The incarnation, Christmas, highlights the grace of God in a way that we can't miss. He saw who we were in the state of our sin, in the misery that we lived, in the place where we reserved his wrath justly. He came and entered human history, took on our likeness. He became poor 
in order that he might give us all of his riches so that we might become rich. And some of you are like, preach. Because you're thinking I'm talking about money. But I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about spiritual riches. Not material, financial blessings. Something much more valuable than that. Righteousness. Reconciliation with God. Adoption into his family. All the blessings of the gospel. A heavenly glory now that we await a a kingdom in which we are now citizens of. That kind of richness. So much more than currency and stocks and bonds and vacations and cruises and cars and homes. All the material blessings of this world. We may lose all of that. But in Christ Jesus, due to his poverty, we get all of the spiritual blessings and riches that are in Christ Jesus. He became poor so that we might become rich. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know it? Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? This undeserved, unmerited favor that he freely, voluntarily bestowed on his very own people? Do you know it? If you're here today, you don't know it, you know it now. In simple, concise form, but you've heard it. Just because you've heard it, just because you understand it, doesn't mean you really know it. So I'm going to ask it again. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? What I mean by it is, have you been personally transformed by it? Have you been identified with it? Has your whole identity been transformed? Your whole standing before the living, righteous God? Do you know it? Have you been transformed by it? Not just up here, but in heart and in how you live? Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because what I'm asking, and asking that question, do you know, I'm asking, have you received it? Do you have it? Does it have you? Have you received it by faith? That's all it is. You see Jesus. You hear what he's done? You say, I I rest and rely on it alone for salvation. I surrender all to it. I open my hands wide and I receive. You don't know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ through works, through merit. You can't buy it. You can't download it online. No. You just receive it. And you receive it by faith, by trusting in it. Have you received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know it? Don't leave today without an affirmative, decisive, submissive, yes, I know it. I've received it. It's transformed me. My whole identity is in it. My hope, my eternity, it's all wrapped up in it. This is the defining thing of my life and existence. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Friends, there's no giving if there's not first receiving. Receive. Receive. Some of you are so weary in sin. Some of you are so overwhelmed by guilt and shame and anxiety. Jesus, he saw you. He sees you. Took on poverty for you that you might become rich in him. Receive grace. This is about receiving this message. Receive. It's not even fundamentally about giving today. It's about receiving. It's not about guilting you into anything. Receive. Receive the grace for Lord Jesus Christ. And if you receive, you're full. You're full of it. You're full of grace. That's what the gospel tells me. That's what the Bible tells us. If you open your arms, you're full. Right? We feel so empty. Not if we receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are full. To the brim, overflowing. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abundantly, he gives. Right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's like Niagara Falls pouring over your soul of grace. In never-ending, powerful, all-encompassing supply of God's unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing. And it's all in Christ. Receive. Do you know it? Receive. We're full of grace. What does knowledge and reception of this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ do to those who receive it? That's what we're getting at now. What does it look like? Well, it looks like a lot, right? See, the whole New Testament talks about what does the Christian life look like? After you receive, how do you live? But the one example we're looking at here is the, the example of the Macedonian Christians. So you may know the foundational grace of Jesus, but we're also pointed to by Paul the, the, the exemplary grace of the Macedonian Christians. He goes on to tell us, Back to verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of the Macedonians. And again, don't miss it. He's talking about grace again. He's still talking about grace. Right? Examples inspire us, don't they? One time I was in one of those thoughtful moments, whenever that was, and I was like, wow, there's been a lot of people that have affected me, that have influenced the way I live. And I like, had an idea of, of having like a 10-part journal entry of like the 10 most influential people in my life. And if I were to reduce down how they influenced me the most into one word, what would it be? And the first person that came to mind was my wife. No one has influenced me more than Doreen. And if I encapsulate that in a word, that she's shown me by her example how to love. Love. She's shown me to love. 
I went on to think about Scott Gibson, my mentor at seminary. If I were to reduce it down, he taught me how to preach. I think of my good friend Bernie Elliott, who over the years, uh, in all my emotional ranting, he taught me how to think. Think. Right? I think of my mother who brought me to faith. She showed me and taught me how to believe. I think about my grandfather who constantly, by his life and example, just served. That's all he did was do things for people all day. Waited by the phone. What do you need? What do you need? Just served. But my grandmother, by her example, she taught me to give. She taught me how to give. Examples are powerful. They're motivators. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the Macedonian church. right? In, a, in, in the face of great need amongst their brothers and sisters in the Jerusalem church, these Gentile Christians responded in a shocking way. Look at the language. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity of their part. For Phrases that you don't necessarily want to put together, or you wouldn't expect to put together. Severe test of affliction, abundance of joy. Nope. Extreme poverty, wealth of generosity. No. But that's what they did. That's the grace of the Macedonians. Full of grace, what did they do? They gave. They gave sacrificially, according to their means, and beyond their means. They gave voluntarily. It was of their own accord. No one was making them do anything. They wanted to do it. They begged earnestly for the privilege of participating to having fellowship with need. Begging for the favor. They gave worshipfully, worshipfully, right? First to the Lord. In response to grace, they, it was an act of devotion to God. Let's understand that for a moment. Any, any giving that we do is first and foremost an act of worship to God. Not just responding to need, nor necessarily investing in an opportunity, but giving is an act of our devotion. We say we love God. How do we show that we love God? We say, hey, everything I have is yours. It's at your disposal. Here. It's yours. I give. It's worshipful gave personally, right? They gave themselves. And then obediently, by the will of God. Full of Christ's grace, they gave to Christ's people, right? That was the example that they set for the Corinthians, right? Because that's really what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, let me tell you about the Macedonians so that they become an example for you in real life of what grace looks like in our lives. Grace looks like giving. Uh, giving is like grace in action. We see it in Jesus, and then we see it in the Macedonians. And because we see that, hey, Corinthians, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 7. But not just for the Corinthians, friends, for us. Full of Christ's grace, let us give to Christ's people. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul affirms the Corinthians 
And then he instructs the Corinthians. He affirms them. As you excel in everything. It's a great church. They got a lot going for them. The Spirit of God is evident in their midst. They're responding to God's grace in appropriate ways all the time. And I can easily look at this congregation and after 11 years, going on 11 years, just stand in awe of what God has done and how the Spirit of God is evident in this congregation. There are many ways in which the grace of God that has been poured into this church is overflowing in tangible ways. This church serves selflessly alongside one another each and every week. Servant-hearted church. That's the spirit. This church is patient with one another in and through major struggles and even sins. It's a gracious church. Patient with one another as we walk through things in life. That's the Spirit of God. Spirit. Shaping this community. I think of the love that we have for the Word and for doctrine. Man, we have grown in this, matured in this, and you know, in some ways, we've even deepened our love for it over the years. Friends, people don't grow in love with the Word of God on their own accord. That's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit welling up such affection for love and for Scripture and for doctrine. Uh, that, that's, that's an evidence of the Spirit. Compassion and love for those in need in our community. We just came to a season, again, we're able to partner with a couple schools in the area. We're looking at now coming alongside uh, the canteen at North Syracuse High School to serve meals to teenagers who are lost, just need friendship and care. Guys, we've got a lot of growing to do in those areas, but the Spirit of God's evident. You're excelling in many things, renovation. And we've seen radical generosity in this church. But he's saying to the Corinthians, what I think he's also saying to us today, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Again, it's, it's about grace. Notice he doesn't even use phraseology like, and so open your checkbook, write a check, or, 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 or give online, or, or just empty your wallets. He just excel in this act of grace. It's all about grace for Paul. It should be all about grace for us here. Giving is all about grace, and we should be excelling in that. Again, that word excel is a word that just simply means to overflow. It's the same word back to what, how he described the Macedonians. The wealth of generosity overflowed. So as you have received, right, we, we've received to the brim and we overflow. So as you overflow in those ways, he's saying, let grace overflow in this way as well. Receiving grace overflows into giving. Randy Elkhorn says this, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. That's a powerful quote. As thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. So let's excel. Let's give. Being full of Christ's grace, let us give to Christ's people. That's the main idea today. Being full of Christ's grace, let us give 
to Christ's people. And I'm going to end the message by telling you how. In succinct and clear, helpful way as I possibly can, as quickly as I can. How do we give? Oh, there's many things I could say here. I want to emphasize four. One, generously. Two, decisively. Three, cheerfully. And four, expectantly. How do we give? Generously, decisively, cheerfully, and expectantly. Where are you getting this, Maze? Well, these two chapters are really a long call on the Corinthians to give. And so I just want to shoot ahead a little bit. If you want to grab your Bibles and follow along with me, that'd be helpful. You go to chapter 9, verse 6. You say, Maisie, give generously. Where are you getting that one? Well, verse 6 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Common proverb of the day was this. You reap what you sow. Ah, what's he saying there? He's talking about reaping and sowing. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In some ways, you could say that this is Paul encouraging us to exercise wisdom with our wallet. He's applying wisdom. So you could say what Paul's saying is give wisely, right? We should give wisely, amen? Not foolishly. We should give wisely. But what does wisdom look like? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It is wise to be generous. So ultimately, he's saying, give generously. Renovation Church, give generously. It's wise to do so. If you give generously, the scriptures tell us that we will reap bountifully. Full of grace, give generously to Christ's people. Do it. Number two, give decisively. Look at 7a. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Decided. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart. Have you made a decision about your giving to the church? It's important that you do. Scripture says, each one must give what he's decided in his heart. Not what I've decided for you. What you've decided in your heart. What must you give? And then, I think some of us might need help in just thinking through, well, how do we make such a decision? Again, summarizing concisely, here's my answer to that. Decide in prayer on a portion based on priority. I'll say it again. As you give decisively, decide in prayer on a portion based on priority. Let's unpackage that as briefly as I can. (laughs) We are stewards of what God owns. Okay? You're a steward. You're not an owner. So, 
if you want to know how much to give, maybe ask the owner. Right? Pray. Father, you're the owner. What would you have me give? What would you have me give? Right? We can't decide apart from prayer. What you have me give? So pray. Pray. Create your budget. Do you know what you make? Do you know what you have? Some of us hasn't even, haven't even reviewed those things for, for months on end. We're just living. Do you know what you make? Pray of what you've given to me. What you've given to me to steward for your glory. How much? How much you want to give? So pray. Seek the Lord. Married couples, please pray about this together. It will, if you do not do this together, it can cause some serious issues in the marriage. Pray together, right? And your prayer shouldn't be, Lord, please help my spouse to not give a lot to the church, you know? Or please, let me have the most control over the money. Our prayer should be, Lord, what do you want us to do together and decide together as couples? Anyway, I continue to move on. Decide in prayer on a portion, right? One video I watched from Nymark said that it's throughout all the scriptures you see a simple thing, that God's people are always called to give a portion, to apportion out a decisive figure for generosity. So how much? How much of a portion? Well, there's no black and white answer in the New Testament about how much exactly we need to give. So if you're looking for an exact figure, man, I'm sadly disappointing you today. Right? There is no exact figure. Old Testament expectation was a tithe, a tenth, 10%, plus a number of offerings that came with it. Some people say it was up to 22, 23% was given to given away generously. We look in the New Testament, and all we see is crazy generosity, right? We see radical giving, people selling everything off and laying it at the apostles' feet, right? People sharing and participating in need in radical measures that, that go way above and beyond any kind of tenth. So what do we do with that? Okay, we're praying about it. Lord, how much, what portion, right? I think... In some ways, the New Testament doesn't rescind, doesn't say overtly any removal of the expectation to give a tenth. Right? Even Jesus, when he talks about uh, giving, he's assuming it. He's building on it. So anyway, you can't say a tenth. It's not clear. There's no command. But I also think in some ways, as I was reading Randy Elkhorn's book, The Treasure Principle, talking with the elders again about this this week, it's like, you know, there's something about what's going on there that can, that can be a helpful way to measure a couple of things and maybe ways to get us started, right? Randy Elkhorn calls tithing training wheels toward grace-driven giving, right? Training wheels are what we put on the bike so that we can, we can ride the bike without falling. It gets us started. And then once we figure out how to make this work, we take the training wheels off and it's, it's not even about that anymore. Those are gone. It's just about riding the bike. So in some ways, he, he seemed to indicate that the 10th is a helpful way 
to just say, all right, how do I get started in terms of responding to grace in a way that shows I'm a steward, he's the owner, and I'm living a life that represents the generosity of God, the grace of God. So maybe that's something to pray about, to seek the Lord about. And so the elders, I want to use a very, very clear word here. The elders are inviting you. We are not commanding. We are not requiring. The elders are inviting you to consider a tithe, a tenth, as a way to start living into grace-driven generosity. For me, I'll share personally, the tenth has been something we have been committed to as a way to be a concrete test to this phrase that's a, a requirement for eldership as well. It must not be a lover of money. For me, arbitrarily, I understand that. The tenth says, if I can't give at least a tenth, I wonder if I love money. If I can't give a tenth, I wonder if I love money. Maybe that be a concrete test for you to evaluate whether or not you are a lover of God or money. Whatever the case may be, set aside a portion. Set it aside regularly, weekly, at least monthly, depending on how your pay structure and all. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not involved in all that. Give regularly as an act of worship, as an act of grace-driven desire to support the ministry of the local church. So decide in prayer on a portion based on priority. Guys, we don't give God the rest, we give God the best. The concept is first fruits, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, Proverbs 3. So set your budget. Get that Excel spreadsheet out, right? Income. What's your first expense? Our first expense in our budget is giving to the local church. It's the first expense item in our budget. Income, add it up, boop, boop. calculation, that's what we're given. It's decisive. It's also showing a first fruit priority uh, mindset, right? We're full of grace, so we give God our best, not the rest. Beginning of the month, not at the end, when you've already spent it all. Right? Some of us don't give decisively, we give accidentally. What do we got left? After the 42 run, uh, uh, stops at Starbucks for $8 lattes. Saying, give decisively on the front end, not what's left over. Give decisively. Give cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is rich, He does not need your money. Let me just say, we believe that God is rich and that God provides. We've seen that for 10 years. God's going to provide for the needs of this congregation. Amen? Let me say, we don't need your money. We do, but we don't. God's going to provide. Right? This ain't about budgets and needs. It's about worship. It's about your heart. It's about what gives you joy. Give cheerfully. 
If you're giving an amount that you feel like you're being compulsed to give, or you're giving reluctantly, or you're feeling like you're giving without joy, don't do it. Don't do it. Give joyfully. Give cheerfully. Now, if you, if you, if you can't give cheerfully anything, I think that's an evaluation of your heart. If you're giving anxiously, you know, if you're giving under compulsion, you, you get my point. The Lord, because it's grace-driven, and what we see in the Macedonians, he's calling us to give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what? He's a cheerful giver. Amen? So give cheerfully. Last, give expectantly. Somebody's going to say, well, I have enough. If I start giving radically, will I have enough? The answer is yes. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God provides for his children. We've seen that time and time again. I'll never forget when we were broke is all get out. And we were looking at, our, at, our, at the money, and we're like, we don't even have money to give. What should we do? You know, and so we wrote that check, and we, we gave it. And like two days later, our mailbox was, had the exact amount of someone else that felt called to give to us out of nowhere. It was immediately replaced. I just want to encourage you in that. As you step out in faith, you're going to see God provide in ways that are just amazing and abundant, and wonderful, and it's going to what? Make a difference in your life. It's going to prompt worship, and adoration, and thanksgiving. Because the other thing is, not only do we ask, well, I I have enough, we're wondering, if I start giving, will it make any difference? What difference will it make? You know what it is to have, what difference it makes in your life if you have an abundance of resources at your disposal to get whatever you want to get, or save for whatever you want to save for. But what if I give it away? Will it make a difference? Will the dollar I earned have an impact in the world? And it will it make a difference? And Paul's saying, yes, verse 12 through 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Your worship is causing other people to worship. Do you hear that? When you worship with your wallet, People are going to worship with their mouths. They're going to praise God. Make an impact when you give. You're supplying needs. People are going to eat, right? People are going to have shelter. People are going to have ministry funded from here to the ends of the earth. When you give at renovation, all your money goes to supplying the needs of the saints and furthering the mission of the gospel. You should be encouraged by that. But beyond that, it's causing worship. People are praising God because of your gift. Right now, from here to Scotland to Poland, as we're working out new partnerships in Brazil and Mozambique, when you give, you're causing people to praise God from here to the ends of the earth. Right? By their approval of this service, verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Bottom line, God's going to provide for all your needs as you give. God's going to use it, and he will be glorified as a result. Isn't that great? We don't need to be anxious about those things. That's what God's going to do. We're full of grace. 
So let's give to Christ's people. Amen? Can we give ourselves to that? Can we start by just simply praying about this? Can we open our lives and our hearts to God doing something radical in and through us? Can we devote ourselves to more to all that this culture offers us and all the experiences and, and, and pleasures that it gives us? Can we give our lives and steward our money for something so much more? We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've received it. We've been transformed by it. So we're going to give. That's what we're going to do. The Bible talks a lot about money, friends. It's all over. Right? And I've alluded to a, lot of, a number of things, but we're just scratching the surface about how significant stewardship, financial stewardship, is in terms of our relationship with God. We realize that more needs to be considered, talked about, that this is a process. This is complex. There's a lot of factors, a lot of questions, too, you may have. Well, listen, we want to give a context for you to engage those things. We decided uh, to basically integrate some thinking, teaching, and, and conversation about financial stewardship into our missional communities uh, this winter. So in February and March, we're going to do a book study. Uh, we're going to look at Randy Elkhorn's book, The Treasure Principle, it is absolutely fabuloso. You're going to like it. You know, there's a couple of reasons why it's fabulous, okay? One, it's short. <laughs> it's a short book. Now, granted, you're like, well, I like long books. Okay. The longer version of this is Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Go for it, bro, okay? Go for it. But if you're normal, you're going to read The Treasure Principle, okay? The short version. We're going to go through it slowly. Uh, and it's going to be, I think it was, it was it eight weeks or seven weeks. Thank you, Ethan. Seven weeks uh, in February and March. We are, I think, 30 copies are on their way. Um, you know, I think it's going to cost if, 10 bucks each. I think that's how we're doing it. We'll figure out how to manage all those details. Bottom line, don't freak out. You know, this isn't a flash in the pan moment. Uh, this is something we want to integrate into how we're teaching and empowering each of you in terms of your relationship with God and giving. So join us. If you haven't signed up for a missional community, do so. They start this week. Uh, we'll be starting this in February and March. Let's learn together. Let's learn together. For now, by faith, be filled with Christ's grace. And now that you're full of Christ's grace, let us give to Christ's people. And may we do so generously, decisively, cheerfully and expectantly. Amen? Amen. Guys, thanks for my long sermon today. You're patient with me. There was a lot to talk about. Um, Silas has given me that look already. So let's pray and let's uh, turn our, our attention to Lord's Supper. Father God, we thank you so much for just what you're teaching us. Lord, we confess to you that this is a difficult, uncomfortable topic. And yet at the same time, we rejoice in knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We embrace him by faith. We receive the fullness of who he is. All that unmerited favor, we just rejoice in. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us by the power of the Spirit to excel in giving, 
to move past our fears and discomfort and also our idolatry and just run into your arms and see how much joy and, 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 um, and just, uh, just how much joy there is in, in, in giving to your people. Lord, use us, teach us, shape us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.